Mental health challenges are often kept in the closet or even swept under the rug. We know they can affect anyone, from adults to children, and the struggle is real. Join us as we talk about relevant topics with mental health experts. Welcome to Equip Online, a place for hope and help. Well, welcome to Equip Online. Our topic for today is anxiety and depression in our teams, and how can we help them with that? My name's Wally. This is my co-host, Brian. And Brian, why don't you introduce our guest expert today? Yeah, absolutely. So we are joined uh, via Zoom, thankful for modern technology to do that, uh, with Meredith Weiss. I think I got your name correct, which you I've did. really been working hard to say Rhymes that Rhymes right. with yes. geese. Yes, rhymes with geese. Thank you. And uh, so Meredith, uh, let's see, Meredith is a licensed psychologist at the Connections Child and Family Center. Um, and I know some of your background, you have done uh, outpatient therapy with kids, with adolescents, with families, and also with your psychology background, do psychological assessments, that kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and also you've worked in the school district uh, here in the, you've worked in the Aldine School District um, as a licensed specialist in school psychology. And then even a lot of things, but you've done a lot of work with teens as well, even in, in uh, your past experience where back in uh, Louisiana, um, you were working with uh, teens who came from hard places um, uh, through a really cool program there where they had um, residential treatment centers and different, but you were helping to come alongside of the teens in that program that um, had to be removed from their families, um, had some pretty significant trauma and things like that you were coming alongside yeah. and really helping them out a lot so you've had a lot of experience um and uh you know i think it's i'm excited about our topic and i, I think you're a, a great mm -hmm. guest for that because we're going to be looking at teens specifically today and uh really anxiety and depression and how they get stuck in that right. a, a lot of times and so today we really just want to look at um you know with teens, and I'm a I'm a parent, and you you had teens back in the day, a right. few years back. They're, back in they're the a day, older now. Back <laughs> in the day, right? Um, but for me, um, I'm I'm a dad of teens right now. I've got a couple of teens in my household, and I know uh, part of that time of life, there's a lot of normal ups and downs with having anxiety and feeling down and depressed. But there's also you know a level that you go beyond normal, and so I think it's it's good. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. And then I think you're going to share just a, some practical strategies today on how to help parents really connect with their teen um, through a thing called DBT. So I'm excited about jumping into that. So sure. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation. Um, and uh, Wally, I'm going to throw it back to you. Do you yeah. have any questions? Well, no, but I, I can't believe you didn't mention uh, LSU in her resume. Go Tigers! Go Tigers! Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so, I knew that would come up. Yeah, Finally, yeah. get to say it. Yeah, it's the, Houston's the second largest database uh, alumni base, so maybe we just picked up a lot of listeners with that. But we'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure what we did. <laughs> Either people will really like it or right. really hate it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. true. That's true. Well, yeah. Meredith, we do have some questions for you. And the first one is, is um, it's really a series of questions. What does depression and anxiety look like in teens? And how is that different than it appears or manifests itself in adults? And then lastly, what's typical for adolescents and what should cause concern for us as parents? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the interesting thing about teenagers is when we think about mental health and the way that things that 
things like that kind of show up for kids versus adults. Um, there can be some really, really obvious differences when the kids are younger. So when I think about anxiety, the younger the child is, the less vocabulary that they have to be able to say, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. Um, so the younger the kid is, oftentimes what you're going to see is crying, tantrums, um, in addition to some of those more typical um, worries, fears, stomach aches, headaches. Um, and teenagers, at least at that point in time, hopefully they have a little bit more vocabulary to be able to describe it, but they still may not yet have um, the wherewithal to know that um, the amount that they're worrying, the amount of reassurance that they need is out of the norm. Um, and I also think it's important to recognize that um, they may not recognize in themselves just how severe it is, whereas adults, we have fully formed brains, we're able to plan, organize, execute, and sometimes we can better recognize when this is impacting us in a, in a very severe way, whereas our teens may have more difficulty recognizing that. But there is a lot of overlap in symptoms like stomach aches, headaches, worries, um, needing reassurance, um, things of that sort. In depression, I think the big, big factor to think about is um, usually when the word depression comes up, people think of being down in the dumps, being an Eeyore and being unable to get out of bed, um, being completely, completely withdrawn from other people. And that might be the case for some teenagers, but a lot of times the way that sadness and depression shows up in our teens um, can look more like anger and irritability and explosive behavior. Um, and so some of that in and of itself is normal when you're going through those teenage years and your mood's fluctuating up and down. Um, but I think it's really important to keep in mind that what on the surface might look like anger and irritability, um, digging a little bit further underneath the surface, we may come to find that it's someone who's feeling really down, really helpless, really hopeless. Um, so I think that's the big piece that's the difference. Um, but some of the things that can be easy for parents to recognize are the things that they can physically see in their kids, like um, big changes in their sleeping habits, like they're sleeping much, much more or sleeping a lot less, changes in their eating habits or their weight fluctuating, um, again, complaining about physical ailments, things of that sort, um, or even their energy level, if, if their energy level has taken a big dip. Those are some things that are a bit more easily recognizable by parents, um, even if their teenagers aren't necessarily talking about having problems. Yeah, it um, seems like uh, for, uh, I'm hearing as a parent, you know, you just have to be kind of uh, being pretty regularly connected and observant. Of kind of looking for those things, and I always, to me, it's fascinating. In as we look at mental health, just the connection between something is a mental health struggle we have, and how it's connected to our physical. Uh, it's connected to um, it has physical symptoms that it could affect mm -hmm. our body, and so I think it's interesting how we're a holistic person. It's all connected together. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, I think that's. Um a really easy place for parents to start and watch is just watching what their child is doing and those those basic daily living functions if they're seeing changes in that. Um, changes in that could be depression and it could be anxiety too. Um, and I, I know Wally, you mentioned, how do we really tell the difference between what is normal teenage behavior and those changes that come about right. when they're going through puberty and starting to try to um, individuate and find themselves as their own person versus 
what is a problem that might need um, more intensive help. Um, so it, any parent of a teenager probably knows that that teenagers tend to tend to be more moody, <laughs> really? right? Their body's going through a lot of their body's gone through a lot of changes. They're starting to push the boundaries within the family system to try to figure out who they are as their own person. So more moodiness, that's that's relatively normal. I think when it becomes a problem is when you're seeing moodiness that does not relent. So if you're, it's been a week or two and um, your child has consistently been very irritable or seemed mad or angry and they can't seem to come up out of that mood, um, no, you know, no matter who they're trying to connect with or, um, you know, ways that you've tried to help, that's when it might be cause for concern. Really looking at, um, I think the two big catch-alls are persistence, so how long it's lasting, and also the severity of it. Um, so those are two key things to look for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, uh, you know, uh, parents, have, again, teenagers, they may incite a lot of conflict in the family, right? Um, again, at that age, they're really trying to individuate, figure out what they care about, what they want to stand for, how they want to show up in the world. Um, and so there might be some conflict between the values of the family and the child trying to figure out what it is that they value and care about. Um, and so some argument or, or dialogues that are disagreements, absolutely normal. Um, when conflict, again, can become an obvious concern is if there's verbal aggression involved. So maybe your child is, um, whether it's making threats toward you, maybe making threats about themselves. Um, if physical aggression becomes a problem, if they're getting so heated during a conflict that they're putting hands on somebody else um, and there's a concern for somebody's safety, obviously that's a big red flag. Um, or even things um, as severe as running away. Um, I know you mentioned I, I have a little bit of a background um, where I worked at Boys Town up in Nebraska. And so a lot of the times uh, the way that they wanted to get away from that conflict was to run. Um, obviously, that's a huge safety concern and a big red flag. So if you have concerns about that, too, um, that's certainly a red flag and a time to seek out help as mm -hmm. soon as you can. Um, and I know another big one that you guys have already spent some time talking about some of the fantastic past speakers is social media. Mm -hmm. um, a very normal outlet for our teens, especially right now, given um, the COVID-19 circumstances. It's very normal for teens to want to spend a lot of time on tech and social media because that's how they're connecting with other people. Um, but again, red flags are mostly around safety concerns. So if they're getting so sucked into sites that they can't engage in any other part of their life, um, if they're spending a lot of time on sites that might um, be dangerous or problematic. So um, I'll think about things like there are sites out there that promote eating disordered behavior or um, talk about violent things, or if they're being unsafe and talking to people they don't know and you think they might be making plans to try to connect with those people. Um, again, those are big red flags and cause for concern as well. Um, so I know those are some pretty severe ones, mm -hmm. but, and I think that parents can get, um, very nervous, even at any change in their team, but just recognizing that there's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows in their mood. But when that child gets stuck in that mood mm -hmm. and it's hard to pull them back out again, that's when, um, we need to be concerned and maybe be talking to them more about what's going on and, and do we need someone else to talk to so that you feel safe and you can find an outlet to figure this out? 
You know, I would think, too, that even as we look at what's going on uh, that they have access to with the quarantine, even Mm -hmm. we're in quarantine, so that's got to have one impact on them. But then in addition to that, the news about the quarantine and what's going on in this unusual Mm -hmm. period has to have an impact as well. I mean, I remember my son at three years of age, and I know we're talking about teens today, but the stomach aches and went, oh, man, I remember that period of time when he was getting them. And my wife and I really had to be careful not to have the news on. Uh, even at that young age, and also in the conversations that we were having, because uh, he would feed off the negative energy of what may be happening out there in the world, and it would just uh, turn him upside down. Mm-hmm. I really like what you did there, which is another thing that parents can start to do is start to tease out patterns that they're seeing in their kids. So if you're starting, like you said, you noticed that your child was having a lot more um, somatic issues like stomach aches and things shortly after watching the news or being exposed to those kind of things. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of time to tease out those patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, But if parents can figure out what seems to be triggering some of those problems, then that can certainly be a helpful way to start intervening, just like you did. Yeah, now I love, I mean, it is a good word. I mean, I think for a lot of the uh, topics we get into, um, you know, we try to want to be a help for parents because really... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even we've learned, you know, as you're, you're your child's number one advocate, mm-hmm. you have the most insight really into your child, you're around them the most. And so it's so great to think about what am I observing and how can I maybe connect the dots as much as I can to try to advocate for, for their healing and for their, um, you know, ability to cope. So it's mm-hmm. awesome. Do you, kind of what Wally said, do you feel like, uh, are you seeing the quarantine having even a more severe impact? Uh, on our our teens right now from your perspective or how is it impacting things? Sure. I think from what I've read thus far, it certainly is. Um, And I think there are different levels to that based on um, a child's risk before this all started. Um, So in in thinking about the the quarantine that we're in right now, you know, the difficult thing about it is we as human beings, we like stability, we like security, we like having a routine. Um, and that routine has been absolutely disrupted. And I think when this whole thing started, I could certainly say for myself, the idea was, well, hopefully we'll get past it over the summer and maybe we can get kids back into their normal routine of school mm-hmm. or start to reestablish some of those things that make them feel safe and make them feel connected. Um, and so now I think we're probably seeing a bit of an uptick again, because now we don't know, are our kids going to physically go back to school? Are they going to be online for a couple of weeks? Are they going to be online the whole fall semester? Um, we're getting back into more and more of that uncertainty as we get closer to one of those routines that's so important to kids. Right. Um, right. And yeah, and so I, I certainly think it's having an impact because again, we're getting into a time where our routines are going to have to change as we get back into school mode. Um, and it's going to take some time to figure out what that routine is going to look like, whether or not they're back in school, if they get to go back to school, are they going to have to leave school for a couple of weeks? Um, if we have an uptick again, um, and also if their family has been um, personally impacted in some way by this. Um, certainly, if anyone that they know has has died or has been ill themselves, um, I anticipate that would certainly cause some anxiety and worry about that happening again. Um, 
if someone passed away during this time and maybe they didn't have an opportunity to go to a funeral and mm -hmm. have some sort of closure, um, absolutely there's going to be grief there that's going to be continuing until they can get some sort of closure and start to um, be able to process that more effectively. And then our many, many families who have experienced serious financial hardships out of this who uh, maybe have lost jobs or or lost income or lost a job, got a job back. And, and now that we've taken a downturn again, maybe you're unemployed again. Um, so certainly um, our children feed off of adult emotions, right? And so if the adults around them are concerned about how they're going to get food on the table, if they're going to find another job, when they're going to find another job, um, Kids can certainly recognize that. And of course, that can feed into their own worries and fears as well. Um, you know, they don't want to see their parents upset and they want to know that they're um, in a safe space. And so I anticipate that's certainly having an impact on some of our kids. Yeah. I mean, you think about for uh, for kids in a household, the, the foundation of security is our mom and dad OK? And is there do we have enough money? And, you know, those are things that you know, you hope they don't even have to think about it as a kid. They just uh, assume and they can live under that security. But when things impact that foundation that they stand on, that can be, I'm sure, incredibly unsettling for our kids mm -hmm. when, they, when they're mm -hmm. walking through that. So it's, just, it's yeah. a great, great perspective just to keep in mind that we've got a lot of that scenario, a lot of those scenarios happening right now. Yeah, we as humans, yeah. we, we like to know what to expect so that we can plan for it. Um, and I think everybody's hope was that by this time, we would know what to expect. And what yeah. we're seeing is that's just not the case. And so right now, certainly the pandemic is not necessarily a problem that we can solve immediately. Right now, it's one that we're trying to ride this wave and figure out how we can stay on it without without making things worse yeah. um, so that we can um, can get along better. But I think the other thing that's important to remember is that kids are really, really resist. Uh, they're really resistant. Um, they're really, um, they're really flexible as well. And so if you have kids who maybe didn't have any mental health concerns before this started, um, their family support system is intact and they've had some contact with their peers, they're probably going to get through this just fine um, and be resilient. And there may be some ups and downs, but they've got those protective factors mm -hmm. in place. Whereas maybe some of our kids who before this all started, they were already struggling or um, maybe they lacked that social support that they needed. And now yeah the little bit that they had might've been stripped away even more. Um, mm. So certainly we're going to see new cases of anxiety and depression and also um, potentially more long lasting or severe effects for those who, um, for whom this was already a concern. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Hey, I'd love to transition into um, kind of our, our, our next part of our conversation. It's really, you know, you mentioned about those for our teens um, you're going to have arguments. You're going to have, we need to have conversations. We need to be engaged with our teen, uh, teen kids. And so, um, I know one of the a popular therapy that's being used right now is called DBT. So hopefully it's dialectical behavioral therapy. Did I get that right? <laughs> you did. did okay, perfect. Um, and, uh, I think it's being used in a variety of ways right now. Um, mm -hmm. and my understanding is a little bit of it is, kind of realizing that there's, there's, you know, different perspectives on any particular issue and, and each of those perspectives, uh, can, can really be a truthful way to see something. And we don't always mm -hmm. remember that. 
Um, and so um, I'm really curious, and I, I think what I'd love to do is is maybe unpack a little bit about what DBT is, and then for the remainder of our uh, program today, just to talk about a practical way that parents can use this right now with their teens. So maybe at first, just tell us a little bit about what is DBT, if you want to unpack it just a little bit. Sure. I, I think you hit the nail on the head and you got the name right, yes. dialectical <laughs> behavior therapy. Uh, dialectics is really uh, this idea that two opposing things can exist at the same time. And when they come together, create a new a new truth. Um, and, and two different points of view can both be valid at the same time. Um, and so dialectical behavior therapy um, was really begun to try to treat adults who had very severe emotion regulation problems. Um, so a very difficult time uh, regulating their own mood um, and their behavior in response to that. And it's a very intensive therapy when it's done as it was standardized. And there have been a lot of reiterations, um, especially to be able to use it as, with adolescents. And so standard DBT as it was created um, includes weekly individual DBT therapy, um, weekly DBT skills groups where you're doing a lot of skill building and teaching, um, phone consultation outside of therapy. So for, for those clients who are very, very high risk, um, an opportunity for them to hop on the phone and get coached through using um, skills outside of therapy when they're in a crisis. Um, and then su consultation support for the therapists who do standard DBT because typically it's used with very high risk clients. And by that, I mean people who are, are actively suicidal, um, who self-harm and might be putting themselves in, in danger of brave bodily injury, um, people who might accidentally harm other people because their behavior can be explosive. Um, and so those are a lot of people who are typically seen and treated by those standard DBT programs. Um, and a lot of those programs you'll see in places like um, inpatient or, or partial day treatment hospitals. There are some outpatient places in the area who do offer that sort of comprehensive package. But for our kids who um, maybe their, their concerns aren't that severe, maybe they're not um, in danger of their life being threatened, but for whom they really have a hard time managing their mood going up and down, um, their families having a hard time managing their behavior, um, using DBT informed skills within therapy can be a really helpful way to get at that. Awesome. Um, and so it's really about balancing two different things, um, acceptance-based interventions and change-based interventions. And so by that, I mean, um, it, again, it goes back to dialectics, things like, um, the client accepting themselves where they are and saying, I'm doing the best I can. While on the other hand saying, but maybe I do need to be motivated to change so I can do better. Um, and the same thing for the therapist, accepting the client where they are while also trying to motivate some change so they can live a life that's worth living. Mm -hmm. um, so really, there are a number of different ways that this is used. I know there are places in the area that do DBT skills groups. Um, I like to think that when I work with teens who have a lot of concerns with emotion dysregulation, if it's if we can see them outpatient, if they're not in danger for their life or they're not engaging in those behaviors that are so severe that they need very intense treatment, I do like to use many of those DBT skills in therapy with them to try to teach them 
how to write out situations that maybe can't get better right now, or how to learn new skills that are going to help them improve their mood, stabilize their mood, um, and be better able to react to situations with more thought. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I understand that one of the really important aspects of DBT is validation. And, uh, and I think in just a moment, we're going gonna, gonna to ask you to kind of walk us through a way that we could do a validation exercise like sure. today if we want to do that with our teen child. But before we jump into that, wh- why is validation so critical, do you think? Mm-hmm. And when I think about um, validation as it's used in DBT can be taught to both both to kids and their parents, it's incredibly useful. And really the goal of validation is this. It can be to build and maintain relationships, um, especially let's say if a parent and child are in conflict, you want to get through the situation without making it worse. And validation can be one way to do that because it tends to help diffuse situations, reduce reduce anger, reduce blame so that both sides can better listen to each other. And so I think when considering when to use this, you're really thinking about, is this a relationship that I'm trying to maintain um, or am I in an explosive situation where I'm trying to simmer down the situation so that we can think more clearly? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to unpack that. Um, I know, Wally, even for you, um, um, with your own kids, what, what's been your experience with, you know, validation or as you think about that? What does that make you think of? Yeah. So I don't know if this is the same as what you're talking about, Meredith, but sure. um, three things that I try to communicate to my children on a regular basis as they were growing up. And I learned this from another man that was a mentor in my life, but number one, I love you. Uh, number mm-hmm. two, what you're good at. And I would look at a skill there. So they may be really good at uh, building, you know, models or different things, just compliment them on things that I saw that they naturally was within their skill set. And then third would be to say that I'm proud of you. And I would try to mm-hmm. do those three in tangent with one another. And the proud would focus more on a character trait. Like, you know, I'm really proud of you in that situation where you had an opportunity to uh, uh, be dishonest, but you weren't. You were honest and uh, they overpaid you and you gave the money back, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, sure. Something along those lines. And so I always tried to use those three in my children's life to validate them. That may not be the same thing that you're talking about here, but I do think that proactively what that do that does is it's making a deposit in their emotional bank, if you will, so that later on when other conversations arrive, they, there's that deposit to draw upon and they know that I don't mean them harm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really like what you're doing there. Um, and it's validation is very similar. You may not necessarily make um, a deposit, although it can definitely open up a conversation for that. But in the same way as, as you use those skills that you just talked about, validation is really a way to try to open up the chain of communication. So maybe you have a kid who just doesn't want to talk to you about their problems. And that's okay. Um, but we want them to know that we're here. We love them unconditionally. We accept them. We affirm that the way that they're feeling about a situation is valid, even if we don't like the way that they maybe reacted to it or what they said or what they did. Um, so, for example, when I teach validation, I like to use um, this little mnemonic. And I think there's within other uh, other therapists have this sort of similar thing in their bag as well. But I like to use the mnemonic give. 
which is spelled G-I-V-E, give. Um, and the first letter of that is be gentle. Um, basically, that means when you're going into a situation to talk to your child or try to open up that communication, go in without judgment and intentionally trying to remember that you're not going to judge and you're not going to attack, even if something happened that you really didn't like. Um, the I stands for act interested. Um, and I think this is something that's really difficult for us to do sometimes. Um, we want to listen, but we also want to do it um, very mindfully, shutting off our phones, not looking around at other things going on. We want to be completely and totally interested in our own child so that they know nothing else matters right now except this conversation right here. Um, V stands for obviously validate, and I'll talk a little bit through some examples to do that as well, but really you're just affirming that how they're feeling about a situation is valid. It's not wrong. It's not faulty. Your experience is true and real. And then the E stands for easy manner. So thinking about your body language when you're talking to your child, smile if it's appropriate, use humor if it's appropriate to try to diffuse a situation, um, use non-threatening body language, you know, in, instead of crossing your arms, opening yourself up, um, because that can really communicate that I really am here to listen to you and I want to listen if you're willing. Yeah, That's I love really that. Good. That is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have just heard that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago. So, hey, but this is great. <laughs> this is really, really good. Um, yeah. So you said, um, you know, because I love what you're saying, too, because sometimes with teens, um, they are exploring things. They react to things that get pulled into things that mm -hmm. are polar opposite of I didn't raise you this way. And I can't believe, you're, you know, and, and as a parent, sometimes you can just react and just get so shocked. And so even the, the fact that you started with gentle, I mm -hmm. think is, is such a huge thing. Cause I, I, I feel like, you know, as I've interacted with parents, when we, when we react that way, it just shuts it down. Like it's just shuts it down immediately mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. we even have a chance to even get into that conversation. Yeah. And we, as adults, we want to be fixers. We, we right. don't want our kids to hurt. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them run into a consequence so bad that it affects their life. And the, and the truth is that during childhood, that's not as much of a problem, but as they grow through those teenage years, they're starting to run into adult consequences by that point in time. Um, and so validation, it, while we're going to use some words to do it, it's really a listening skill. Um, so when I teach this, I kind of say there's, there's three different things that you can validate. You don't have to do them all. Just pick one, whichever you think might be easiest for you. Um, so the number one thing would be validate the feeling. So let's say maybe your child just went through just an awful breakup and they are torn up about it. Um, maybe they don't necessarily want to talk about it or, or maybe they're going off and having a hard time. Um, one day that way that you could validate the feeling would be to say something like, I can see that you're absolutely devastated about this. So the feeling being devastated and it, you know, it can be whatever you think the feeling is in that moment, mm -hmm. um, upset, um, down, um, angry. Um, and sometimes I think that particularly parents might be afraid to do this because they don't want to get the feeling wrong. But what I like about it is if you use this with younger kids, you're starting to help them label those feelings. And when you use this with older kids, if you get the feeling wrong, that's okay. You're getting them thinking about if they're going to correct you, they've got to look inward and figure out what they're feeling. Um, 
and you, you want to be corrected if you get it wrong. You really do want to know how your child is feeling. Um, and so if you get the feeling wrong, that's okay. Let them correct you, apologize and say, okay, now I understand. Um, the second thing that we could try to validate is just how, how hard things are for them right now. Um, so thinking about maybe you've got a kid who got invited to a big birthday party in the middle of this pandemic. Maybe a family is still doing that and your family's not, and you have to break the news that, you know, I, I really want you to be able to go, but, but right now it's just not safe and, and they're panicking and they feel like the world is ending and, you know, it, it's just not fair. Everything's falling apart. You could say something as simple as, you know, I can see how hard things are for you right now. Again, you're not trying to fix the situation. You're not giving any advice. You're not making it about you. You're just saying, I see and I recognize that things are overwhelming and really difficult mm -hmm. for you right now. A very easy one to do. So feelings, um, um, feelings. I apologize. I lost my train of thought there for a moment that things are really hard. And then the last thing, and this is kind of similar to what you mentioned, Wally, is validating what's important to them, what they really care about. So maybe you've got a really anxious kid who wants to make perfect grades. They want all A's on every assignment, um, but they're getting overwhelmed with their schoolwork. They're worrying about an upcoming test. They feel like they're going to fail. Um, you can take a stab at validating what's important to them. Like, um, I can tell that it's really important for you to do well at school. Very simple. You're just talking about what it is that seems important to them right now. Um, so those are really three things that you can try to validate. And again, it, all it has to be is one sentence, because what you want to do is just say, I see you and I affirm what's happening with your experience right now. And that can soften the situation at times. And maybe if you've got a teenager who doesn't want to talk, that communicates, hey, I'm here to listen. I'm not going to try to fix the problem if you don't ask me to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to make it about me and say, oh, I, you know, I had this situation happen when I was growing up and here's what I did. Sometimes they just want a sounding board. Yeah. Um, and this is one way that you can be that sounding board. Yeah. So I yeah. love what you're saying, mm -hmm. Meredith, because mm -hmm. to me, mm -hmm. what it communicates is, is a great deal of respect uh, that you're showing to your child. And I would think part mm -hmm. of that would be is that you can catch them in a, in a time when you're ready to talk about it, but they're mm -hmm. not. And, mm -hmm. and part of that respect might be to say, you know, I understand that uh, whatever it is that you've just gone through in your talk with them out of what you've just said, uh, that now may not be a time that you want to talk about that, but dad's really interested. And, you know, I'd love for us when you're ready to come back and talk about this, maybe later today or tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I would like for you to be able to talk about this. Right. We can't force our kids to talk to us and, and sometimes they don't want to, and there, there mm -hmm. may be situations where they may not necessarily feel safe doing that. Um, but we want to make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely. And, and another way you can end the conversation is just to say, you know, if something's happening in their life and you want to help, you can even ask, do you want me to listen right now? Or do you want me to help you problem solve? Yeah. And you just mm -hmm. let them make the choice. Wow. And if they don't want help problem solving right now, that's okay. Hmm. You just let them know, you know, I understand and I'm here if you want, wow. want help with that problem. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I love that. And set the expectation. And, you know, I, um, I think there's so, so many good things there. I think sometimes even, you know, even in the church world as a, you know, for me as a Christian, sometimes, 
when you're getting to that level about how hard something is or how disappointing something is, like you use the example of the quarantine and there's been, our whole world has disappointments, things that have been canceled and all these things. And sometimes we can throw some kind of platitude at them like, well, we shouldn't worry, you know, it's all going to be good and we shouldn't, you know, we should just be joyful. You know, like we want to try to sometimes throw out a, a saying or a quote or a Bible verse too quickly. Like, you know, eventually if we're in the problem solving mode and we want to look to find hope, obviously that's the place to do that. But I think to just be able to acknowledge, you know what, this really is hard. Mm-hmm. You know what? And mm-hmm. let's just leave it at that for now. Like, let's just acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I think even as adults, I've seen, sometimes we almost feel guilty for just, oh, but I should have more faith or I, I should, I should be uh, more mature than that. It's like, you know, it's okay just to grieve sometimes mm-hmm. and just admit this is hard. Yeah. And I've just and seen that's I, powerful. Absolutely. And what I really like that you said about this is this brings me back to the theory behind DBT, which is this is not true of every child, but there are some children who are very emotionally sensitive. They are very reactive, even to small stimuli or small situations that happen to them. And when they get reactive and they get emotional, it takes a long time for them to come back down to their typical mood level. Um, and those kids can be really hard to parent. They can be really hard to deal with. Um, and so not only do you have some kids who are, are biologically um, more prone to this, sometimes there's not a great fit with their environment in order to respond to that, whether that's through the family or maybe through their peer groups, because yeah, we, we want to fix the problems. Like a lot of times we may not see why things are such a big deal. And so we, we may say something like, Oh, don't worry about that. It's, right. it's not a big deal. Or right. um, why are you reacting like this? Mm-hmm. It's not, this is not a big deal. Uh, don't worry about it. Or um, you're being too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when we say these things, it's not out of malintent. You know, we want our kids to feel better or Maybe we see something as irrational, but they don't. But mm. in their mind, this this is the only thing that they see. Right. And so when you have someone who's highly emotional, who keeps who keeps getting told inadvertently, your experience isn't right. No, I'm, I'm trying to tell you I'm in pain. No, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. That can start to escalate right. and that can shut down that communication chain because they're just not getting heard. Um, and so validation is one of the big solutions for that. Like you said, just to say, I can tell things are tough right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, we're getting to the point where I have to start wrapping up here. This has been so, so, so good. So good. Um, and uh, I know, and while I don't know if you have anything else you want to add, but you know, you know, in in a minute, is there anything, Meredith, a final little word you'd love to leave with us today as, as we wrap up? Any final challenge or thought as we kind of wrap up our conversation? Sure. Um, as a parent, I think the three big things that you can do, especially with your teenagers, is to watch for any problems that arise. Ask so you can validate them and ask them if they want you to just listen or help solve the problem. And then listen if that's all that they want. Um, and like we talked about with some of those normal versus abnormal behaviors, if you're seeing red flags, absolutely reach out to somebody. Um, if your teen asks to talk to somebody, figure out what might work best for your family to do that so that you can honor that for them. I know our community has a ton of resources, yeah. um, so definitely use them. And some of them um, 
can even be free to help you figure out what might work best for you and your family. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been, like I said, a great conversation. Uh, Meredith, I'd love to, if any of our listeners want to learn more about DBT or any of the things we've talked about or would love to connect with you, um, Mm -hmm. what would be the best way for them to do that? Sure. Um, So you can find information about our clinic on our website, which is www.connectionsfamilycenter.com. And that just has information about the different people who work here and the problems that they work with. Um, You can always give us a call for a free consultation, hopping on the phone with us to say, hey, this is what's going on. Is this something that you guys can help us with? Can you point us in the right direction? Um, And the same thing when it comes to DBT. if, if you want someone who uses some DBT-informed skills in their practice, we can potentially point you in the right direction for that. Or also, if the problems are so severe that you might be looking for something more intensive for your child, we can definitely help to provide some referrals for that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, appreciative of the work you do. And uh, like I said, we just want to thank you for joining us today. Um, Equip Online is a partnership between Stonebridge Church and Mosaics of Mercy. Uh, Mosaics of Mercy is an awesome nonprofit here in the Montgomery County area. Their their goal is to be a mental health resource hub for our community. So they're a great place to connect and learn how to take some next steps to to pursue your mental well-being. Um, and so if you want to find more resources or some next steps, we encourage you to go to our website and to learn more. Um, but uh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, we just want to encourage you to keep pursuing your mental well-being. And uh, our desire for you is that you would walk in the fullness of life that you were created for. God bless. Thanks again, Meredith. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks so much for watching. We're really passionate about shedding light on mental health. If you found this discussion helpful or beneficial, be sure to like and share the video. If you want to see more, Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to ding that notification bell so you know when we release a new episode. We'll see you next time.